was John the Baptist. We're going to be looking at Luke 1, 57 through 66 tonight. Again, we're going to cover a lot of scripture tonight, but I'll try to be as brief as possible. Uh, this is not a, uh, a full-fledged biography, but we're going to hit the high points of who the, John the Baptist was. You know, uh, the chapter 1 of Luke tells us a lot about uh, the angel Gabriel visiting Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then that same angel visiting Mary and Joseph and foretelling the birth of John the Baptist and also foretelling the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know, in the beginning verses of Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke is telling Theophilus, hey, I'm going to give you some hardcore facts so you can compare this to who is king and who is high priest, and I'm going to give you geography, and I'm going to give you leadership, and I'm going to give you all these facts. So, and again, as we was talking this morning, we serve a providential, sovereign God, don't we? And he knows all things at all times. And he knew that the year 2020 would eventually roll around and that there would be lots of skeptics and lots of doubters and, and a lot of folks who just wouldn't take God at his word as in the day and hour in which we live. So Luke gives lots and lots and lots of facts about who John the Baptist was, who his parents was, who Mary and Joseph was, who Jesus was. He gives us all these facts on purpose. So tonight, I thought it'd just be really neat to uh, just study who John the Baptist is. Uh, Pastor Darrell, uh, for some time now, yes, since the first of the year, has been preaching uh, through the book of John. Well, is John the author of the book of John and John the author of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John? Is that John the Baptist? No. We, we mostly know that, don't we? But does a new believer know that? Does a new believer understand that? There was disciple John. There was writer John. There's John the Baptist. All throughout Scripture, we see several different Johns. So I thought it might just be worth our time tonight to dig through the Scripture and see who John the Baptist was. The first thing we'll do is we'll be looking at John's birth and his early years. Now, John didn't get to grow old. We'll see that tonight. John was not blessed with age. Uh, he was actually murdered by Herod for telling the truth, for standing for truth. He was a martyr. If you study the life of most of the disciples and, and those that were living Jesus' time, all but one or two of the original disciples died as martyrs. You know, when Jesus, they knew the true meaning of what Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Now, if someone were to come alongside you today and say, hey, grab up an electric chair and come follow me, that's not going to be a good day, is it? That's what Jesus was talking about, and we kind of state that flippantly at times. I mean, I've said it from the pulpit before, and I've, I've said it when I'm teaching folks before. Hey, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Oh, yeah, I know, preacher, we got a burden to bear. Do you really? What Jesus meant was, if you're going to follow me, it may cost you your very life. If we lived as radically for Jesus as his disciples lived for him in their day, most likely we wouldn't grow old either, would we? So let's see the life of John the Baptist. Uh, let's start out by looking at his birth and why they named him John. What we find from Scripture is uh, names were very, very, very important. Names meant something. The name John meant the grace of God has been shown. The grace of God has been shown. Let's just think about that for just a moment. We know on the time frame that when Luke begins his writing, talking about the birth of John the Baptist and talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are at the end of about a 400-year span of time where God has been silent. They've got Old Testament scripture. Okay? They've got the Old Testament scrolls. They have that scripture and such. But they were very, very accustomed to one prophet after another prophet after another prophet, generation from generation to generation, coming and proclaiming God's word. Well, guess what? Malachi spoke his last. And that's what was heard for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man Zechariah is serving God in the temple as, his, as the lot fell to him. 
and the angel Gabriel appears to him. Now we have the, we have the wonderful uh, benefit of looking back through time. But these folks are seeing this being revealed right before their faces. Now I'm here a lot doing different things throughout the week and on the weekends, and a lot of times nobody but me is here. And if I were to be in here preparing to preach on Sunday, and an angel pop up right about here, I'm going to go right about there. About as quick as my fat little legs will carry me out of this place, right? So let's read. Let's read the Word of God together tonight. So we're going to back up, and we've, we've shared this scripture already. We're just going to uh, rehearse some of the scripture we've already studied. Now the time for Elizabeth uh, to give birth, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. Now, why will he be called John? Because in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, as I was studying this this week, Brenda, as we go back in time and look at this, the Loopers and the Looper Trio used to sing a song, Four and Twenty Elders. If you research this back to this group of priests in the Old Testament, they were the ones known as the four and twenty elders. That was the number of the amount of priests that would serve at one time, and they would serve a week at a time, and a week at a time, and a week at a time. How do you think God knew that Zechariah would be serving in the temple on the particular day at the particular hour that he was serving? I mean, there was multiple teams. There was multiple teams. And the Bible said they actually cast lots to see who would do what inside the temple. And Zechariah, the lot fell to him that he would be in the temple this week burning incense in the morning and in the evening. Now the Bible doesn't explain whether it was morning or evening, but we know uh, Zechariah was right where he belonged, right when he needed to be there. And Gabriel knew that he had an appointment and God began to reveal his plan to Zechariah. Do you think God still does that to his people today? How does he primarily reveal his plan for our lives? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. And he confirms it how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're, that's, why we, that's why we promote, and that's why we press so hard here at Hope in Christ, that we are people of the book. We're people of the Word of God. Pastor Darrell, myself, all we preach around here is what? The Bible, the Word of God, that's all we have to rely upon. Can I get an amen? The, the Word of God, the Bible is so critical to all that we say and do. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Do you believe tonight it pays to live for God? I believe it pays to live for God, doesn't it? Who, do, who does God primarily send his blessings upon? We know the Word of God says it rains on the just and the unjust, but when it comes to really being blessed, who is it that God blesses on a regular basis? His children, his people. Zechariah and Elizabeth are living righteously before God. As the law prescribes, they're doing the do's. They're not doing the don'ts. They're living according to the letter of the law. They're living righteously and holy before God. But Elizabeth is barren. In that day and time, the most horrible thing that could ever come upon a woman was the inability to become pregnant and have children. These people are elderly. They're beyond childbearing years. They're beyond childbearing years. And they're, they're living right. But why, why is God withholding from them children? They're, they're, li they're blameless. I mean, can you say that tonight? 
I mean, I hope as blameless as a human being can live under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe we're all living as blamelessly as possible. These people are living blamelessly. He's serving as priests, and they're childless. Don't you know he's prayed many, many, many prayers throughout the years? God, please give me a son. I want my name to be carried forward. I want my name to go forth. God, please give me a son. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving, as Zacharias serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the Bible says the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. And Hillbilly talked, and Zechariah was scared to death. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? Yeah, he's trembling. He's shaking in his shoes. I guarantee he was. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now, not only is he scared, I believe he senses the presence of God. I believe there's a holy fear going on here as well, don't you? He's in a holy place. He's in the right place. What bad could go on in a place like that? Not a thing. Not a thing. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So in the scripture we read a moment ago, when they announced what the child's name is, and all the people said, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, Elizabeth, we understand you're old and get a little bit forgetful, but there's no Johns in your family, and there's no Johns in Zechariah's family. Y'all need to name him Zechariah. She says, no way. And why does she say no way? Gabriel said, God said, name that boy John. Why? Because John means God's grace has been given. Again, 400 years of silence is going to be broken by this child. 400 years of silence, God's grace is going to come upon all of humanity, isn't it? And you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. Now, why are they making signs to Zechariah? Remember, he doubted. When the angel said that your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, she doubted, and his ears were stopped up, his mouth was closed up. He couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. For the amount of time that Gabriel revealed that Elizabeth was going to be with child till the child is born, basically Zechariah cannot hear and he cannot speak. So they're making signs to him. Well, we hear what Elizabeth had to say. What do you say, Zechariah? And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And he says all the people wondered. We're a peculiar people, ain't we? We're an odd bunch of people, aren't we? At Christ followers. Christ followers. We stand out. Why? Because Jesus said, you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. And when we bear righteous fruit, when we follow the ways of God, the ways of God are always going to be contrary to the ways of the world. Can I get an amen? And when we follow the ways of God, and when God speaks and we listen and we follow, people's going to say, that's an odd bunch of people right over there. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay to be odd for Jesus. It's okay to be different for Almighty God, isn't it? Look here. His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately, see, immediately when he obeys the Lord, when he follows through what God's given him to do, what happened? It says immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and he spoke. Doing what? Blessing God. He wasn't moaning and complaining. You know, he wasn't like, mm, man, it's good to speak again. No, what's he doing? He's praising God. He's praising God, ain't he? Blessing God. The Bible says, and fear came upon all the neighbors. Again, I believe this is a righteous fear. I believe this is a holy fear. Why? Because Zechariah went into the temple speaking and being normal. He came out mute. He came out deaf. 
the amount of time has passed. The child has been born. Now they're calling this child John for whatever reason. God said so, I guess, is what the neighbors were thinking. And now all of a sudden, Zechariah's able to talk, and he's praising and blessing God. What does all the neighbors do? Fear comes upon all those neighbors. Why? God is in their presence. God is in their presence. And all these things was talked about through the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? Apparently this child is something special. Amen? For the hand of the Lord was with him. For the hand of the Lord was with him. Look here. Here are the prophetic words spoken over John's life by the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And listen, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This has never happened before, ever. Remember, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And when Mary says, hello, I'm here, guess what happens? The baby leaps inside of Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist is filled by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is God setting up the New Testament church and the church is not going to be driven and empowered by the letter of the law. The New Testament church is going to be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's getting things off right, isn't he? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb. And look what he'll do. There's a calling upon his life. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before Christ in the spirit and power of Elijah and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now when it says he will do these things, he will do these things, what preceded this? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. John's not doing these things. John is just an obedient vessel of God himself. This is John working in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says when he, John, filled with the Holy Spirit, being obedient to God and the calling upon his life, in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. How do we get prepared for the Lord? Well, if you've been listening to Pastor Darrell at all, when you get to about John chapter 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus about that wind, that wind that blows. And you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. What is that wind? That wind is the Holy Spirit of God. John is going to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to go before Christ saying, Repent, repent. What did Peter, what did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? Repent for the remission of sins. So the Spirit of God is now going to go through John and preach to the whole world, Repent, turn from your sins, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Prophetic words spoken over John by the angel Gabriel and by his father. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Watch John's calling. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Now, God would be a little unfair to come around and say, hey, you need to be saved without being prepared. Right? So God is sending John the Baptist to go before Jesus. So, so when Jesus comes on the scene, guess what? The people have been prepared through the preaching of John the Baptist. Repentance, repentance. Now, it's very local at this point, isn't it? It's very local. It's not went to the global scale. <coughs> Excuse me. That doesn't happen until after the day of Pentecost. But what's present on the day of Pentecost when it goes worldwide? Well, you've got the disciples preaching the gospel. But the disciples are preaching under the influence of what? The Holy Spirit of God. So John's preparing the way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy 
of God. I don't care how you try to paint a picture of God. How you try to paint a picture of God. Listen, God is full of grace. Can I get an amen? God is a gracious God. God is a God that is full of mercy. If God wasn't full of grace, and if God wasn't full of mercy, guess where all of humanity would be at this very moment tonight? We would be in the lake of fire, wouldn't we? We would be in the pits of hell if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. Because of God's tender mercy, whereby the sunrise shall visit. Now, John is a forerunner, isn't he? What's this sunrise? What's this sun that they're talking about here? This sunrise has to do with the S-O-N who is soon coming. John being that forerunner. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet on to the way of peace. Now, who was John the Baptist? Well, he's the relative of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't he? Sometimes God likes to keep it in the family, doesn't he? Sometimes God likes to keep it in the family. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And behold, your relative, your relative. Now, we don't know if Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins or Elizabeth might have been her aunt. I don't think it really matters. Here's what we do know. Elizabeth and Mary, for all you people from way up yonder, they was a kin, right? They were a kin. They were kinfolk. Y'all understand that? Right here, so we the kin, wasn't it, Daryl? It's kinfolk. They were relatives. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. His early years, his early years, Luke 180. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Now listen, John the Baptist, he wasn't no wimpy boy. Huh? He wasn't no wimp of a fella. No. John the Baptist was a man's man. I'm telling you, he was gruff. He was gruff and tough. And I guarantee you, John would tell you what, you, what he thought if you asked him. John would probably tell you what he thought if you didn't ask him, right? God prepared him to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And a sissy couldn't do that. No, he sent John the Baptist. And this child grew and became strong in spirit. Now, that's a little S. That's not talking about the Holy Spirit. That's talking about his personality, who he was. I mean, he was, he was going at it with everything he had. Became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In other words, when John got old enough, he ran off to the woods. Outdoorsman. Gruff man. Amen? Gruff man. Tough man. What about his ministry? Well, we know this. John lived a simple lifestyle. We could learn something from that. How many busy folks we got in the room tonight? Can I see your hands and be really, really honest? How many busy folks? You know, I think sometimes we think unless we're busy, we're missing out on the important things of life. But I think truth be known, I can remember a time, I'm about 53 years of age. Now, I don't think, I don't think I'm making this up. I just believe that earlier in life, life seemed to be much more simple. I can remember getting up in the morning, getting ready, going to school, coming home, and it seemed like that afternoon and that night lasted for an eternity. It seemed like the weekend was way, way, way long. We'd get up on Sunday, uh, Saturday mornings, and we'd always go to town, Mom and Dad, they'd buy groceries, and we'd come back home, and the rest of that day just seemed like it lasted forever. Get up and go to church on Sunday morning. You go to Grandma's for lunch. And we'd run up into the trees and swing on grapevines and just have the time of our lives. And it seemed like that lasted for days and days and days. And then our mamas would come out and start hollering for us to come on back in. And they'd wash us up a little, rub some spit on us and get some dirt off of us. And we'd go back to church that night. And, man, it just seems like life was slow and simple. Anybody long for that today? But guess what? You're the only one that has the power to slow it down and simplify it. Can I just encourage us to do that? He was a simple man. He lived a simple lifestyle. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair. How attractive was that? I wonder what boutique, boutique he bought that at. I'm going to say a big old camel come walking by one day, and he just tackled it, put it in a headlock, and... 
skinned it, made some clothes, and ate the camel. Don't you imagine that's what he done? This is John. This is John. He wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He lived off of the land. Lived off of, he wasn't mixed in with the affairs of this world. Why? Because he had been set apart. He had been called to be different. He had a call on upon his life. And the reason that he woke up in the morning and the reason he breathed and went through his day was he was out preaching, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's making way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he was a demon. He was so different than everybody else. Everybody else accused him of being a demon. What do we get accused of? Are, are we worldly enough that we don't stand out, or do we stand out enough that people think that something bad is wrong going on in our life? Luke 7, 24 and 25, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Listen to what he said. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, not a stylish man, not a fancy man. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in the luxury are in king's courts. In other, words, in other words, John was a simple man. He didn't need much because he didn't have much need, right? As long as he had a place to lay his head, as long as he had something to eat, as long as he had some clothes to wear, guess what John was? John was content serving the Lord. He was a simple man. He lived a simple lifestyle. What was the call that he preached? Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist, his call was a call to repentance. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's his message. Is that not a simple, simple message that he's preaching? Repent and turn to Almighty God. Be forgiven of your sins. Be baptized as a proclamation to a world that you've repented and turned from your way of sinful living, living now for Almighty God. Now, who was John the Baptist? He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He didn't just spring on the scene out of nowhere. No, Isaiah spoke about him hundreds of years before he was ever conceived and born. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, 3, For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, listen closely, the voice of one crying where? And where did John run off to as a child and as a young man? And where did he come out of proclaiming uh, uh, repentance? Out of the wilderness. Why did he do that? Because God is a sovereign God. And what God says will happen, happens. And John is the fulfillment of this scripture. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In other words, John the Baptist is that bulldozer paving a way through the wilderness so that the Lord Jesus Christ would have a straight, narrow path to walk on as he comes and begins to reveal himself to all the world. John 1.23, he said, I am the voice. This is John speaking. John said, I am the voice. Jesus, I am the voice, the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, he's John what? John the what? John the Baptist. Now, how did he get that nickname, John the Baptist? The, the Baptist. I might give it away, didn't I? They called him John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. John the Baptist. Why did he practice water baptism? Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. John appeared baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as a New Testament church, this would be backward for us, wouldn't it? We don't baptize and then come to faith. We come to faith and then we baptize, don't we? Well, guess what? He is the forerunner of Christ. Christ has not yet appeared on the scene. 
So John is just painting a picture of the fullness of what is to come. John is saying you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. And as a testimony to all those around you, when you make up your mind to turn from yourself and turn to God, you need to come and be baptized. Now, there's no spiritual power in, the, in water baptism. It's just that outward proclamation that I have turned from my sinful ways and I have turned to God. And water baptism was just their way of expressing their faith in God as we practice today. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan doing what? Confessing their sins. God, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. God, thank you for forgiving me. I'm now going to be baptized as a testimony to everybody in the Jordan area that I have repented and turned to you, God. John 3.23. John also was baptizing at those two places. Anon and Salem, because water was plentiful there. Well, if you're going to baptize, you need water, don't you? Aren't you glad that God even provides the water when we need to be baptizing people? God guided him. God took him where he needed to be. It says where the water was plentiful and people were coming and being baptized. John 10, 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Now, John was John the Baptist. He was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one spoken by Isaiah to come and be the prophet of the day. God's been silent for 400 years. Now God has broke his silence. And guess what's taking place? John's upsetting some people. John's upsetting some people. Who's he upsetting? The established. Establishment, right? The self-righteous ones. The ones that had taken the simplicity of God's law and added to it and complicated it into this complicated mess that they themselves could no longer understand, let alone follow. Jesus told them, you're, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you, you've got it all shined up pretty and you say the right words and you're at the right place at the right time. But guess what? On the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. But now this John, you know, like I said earlier, you know, John, John probably wore a, a fine-looking, polished, white three-piece suit with vest and tie. Don't you imagine what John looked like? And he probably spoke eloquently. And, 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 and not wanting to upset anyone, he was probably very politically correct. Wouldn't you imagine that's who John the Baptist was? I don't think so. Well, maybe he was. Let's see what he says here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. Let's see what John said. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that's the religious establishment that I was speaking of. This is the one that has taken the simplicity of the law and made it so complicated that they cannot themselves even follow it. And look what they show up one day when he's baptized. Here's what he says. How you doing, y'all? That's what he said, right? No. He says, you brood of vipers. Now, there's an exclamation point there. I think that means John's voice has been elevated. Huh? I believe there's a little passion mixed in there, don't you? You folks pretend to be religious. Hey, here's what he's thinking. Hey, somebody come behind you, behind me, fixing to put you in your place. You just hang around for a short amount of time. Cousin Jesus is coming to town, and y'all are fixing to get a good dose of what heaven is really like. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, I just assume y'all get what's coming to you. Am I reading too much between the lines there? He's pretty upset, isn't he? He's pretty tore up about this. Why? They've perverted the grace of God. They've perverted the mercy of God. Here's what he says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you're religious, then shouldn't your religion change you to make you more like God and less like this world? Jesus again said, you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. What's their fruit? Look here. Their fruit is 
They are a brood of vipers. You know what a brood is? A, a, you've seen snakes on television. You may have seen some live and in person. When just a just a big group of snakes all bundled together and just tangled up, all mess. Vipers are snakes. You you big mess of tangled up snakes. What's their fruit? Snakes. Seems like they was the snakes back in Genesis. Seems like that snake represented Satan. Now, who are they associated with? He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John says, big deal. That's what John says, big deal. For I tell you, God is able from these stones on the ground to raise up children for himself. In other words, you all think way too much of yourself. He said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Again, again, he's painting the picture. You'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. You're a brood of vipers, and guess what, God? God's got the axe in his hand, and God's fixing to do some chopping. God's fixing to do some chopping. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Yeah, he's taking on the establishment, what he's doing. And the crowds asked him, hey, when you speak with boldness, you don't have to be ugly, you don't have to be unkind, but you need to speak with truth. Can I get an amen? And when you speak with truth and you take on the establishment, the establishment, the establishment, uh, hang on, the establishment of today would be the world, wouldn't it? And we're to be taking on the world with what? With boldness and with truth. And when we stand with boldness and truth, guess what happens to all the onlookers? Look here. And the crowds ask him, wow, wow, what should we do? What then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics in is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, when you repent and turn to God, you will become God-like, and God is a giver. For God so loved that he... God's a giver. And if you know God, you too will be a giver. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were not givers. They were takers. They were takers. And the people are saying, well then, what should we do? What should we do as proof of our repentance? He said, when you find somebody in need, when you have two of something and they have nothing, at least give them one. And if you've got more food that you can eat in a day, and you see someone that doesn't have food, what should you do with the abundance of that food? You should share that food, shouldn't you? Why? Because when you're giving, you're never more like God than when you're giving. Now this is just the general crowd. But within that general crowd, guess who else is there? Those thieving tax collectors. And the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. In other words, quit you stealing. If you've repented, Turn from your sin and live right. Not only the general public, not only the tax collectors, but the soldiers. The soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. In other words, if you know God, your life will prove out that you know God. Well, here's a contrast to John's baptism with that which Jesus Christ would bring. Luke chapter 3, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. So he's coming out of the wilderness. He's preaching. God's going to send a Messiah. There's going to be some baptizing. There's going to be some proclamation. He's going to take on the establishment. Before Jesus shows up, the people are kind of scratching their heads saying, you know what? This could be Jesus. 
But guess what? He doesn't fulfill all the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah, does he? No, Elizabeth is old, but Elizabeth is old and married, so she's not a virgin, so he's not been virgin-born, so they know the difference, don't they? Luke chapter 3, 15 and 17, John answered them all saying, listen, I'm just baptizing with water. I'm just making ready. I'm just paving the way. I'm baptizing with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie. Now that's making yourself mighty humble, isn't it? I'm not even worthy to bow down and tie his shoelaces for him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm just getting you ready. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And be sure of this, he's going to clear the threshing floor. Now then, John the Baptist, he's speaking with boldness. He's taking on the establishment. But when Jesus shows up, Jesus is going to clean house. He has the winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What is John's testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ? It says in John 1.15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, time out. Gabriel visits Zechariah first six months before he visits Elizabeth. John the Baptist is born when Mary is still pregnant. What's, what's this business about Jesus coming before him? If he's the forerunner of Christ, what could he possibly be talking about? He's talking about I am. He's talking about the great I am. He's talking about the one that forever was and forever is and forever will be. John 1, 6 and 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And what did he do? He came as a witness. He just came as a witness to bear witness about what? The light, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all might believe through who? The light. Not through John the Baptist, but might believe through him, the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no, I'm not. And so they asked him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who sent them? The Sadducees and Pharisees. The one that he called the brood of vipers. They sent us back down here to find out who you are. They're getting a little nervous back in town. Right? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them, I baptize with water. My baptism is simple. It's just, what, it's just an outward statement of an inward work that people are making to follow God. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. Now John is a humble man. He says repeatedly, I'm not worthy to untie the, 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 the shoelaces of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that his own ministry comes first, but he's just a forerunner, and his ministry must do what? So that the Lord Jesus can increase. John chapter 3, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Can we pull up and park and preach on that for a few minutes? We just tag team that and drive that home, couldn't we? Do you see the theological depth of that one sentence? That sentence alone destroys faith by works. That statement alone. 
says that there's only one way to repent. There's only one reason to be baptized. There's only one way you can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that is you receive what God gives. For God so loved the world that he... And the Holy Spirit draws, and God forgives, and God gives life. God regenerates. God causes us to become born again. God fills us with the Holy Spirit. It's not about, it's not about, it's all about, yeah. The only way we get anything good is from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Book of Revelation. We are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices great at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In other words, I'm just happy being a bystander. I'm just glad to be a little part of what God is about to do. He said, my joy is knowing that the bridegroom is coming for the bride. I'm glad just to be a little part of that. I must decrease so he might increase is what the Bible says. John the Baptist gets to do what? He gets to baptize Jesus. He gets to baptize Jesus. He's the forerunner. He says, the guy, is just he's just right behind me. You haven't seen him yet, but he's coming. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John understands who this is. This is the Christ. This is God's son. I have no business baptizing you. You need to be baptized in me. That sounds like Peter in the upper room, doesn't it? Jesus girds himself, he kneels down, begins to wash the feet of Peter, says, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have none of me. And Peter jumps in the bowl and starts splashing, doesn't he? Hey, just wash me from up here to down there eight or ten times. Whatever you got for me, I want it, Jesus. This is John the Baptist. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. The reason Jesus was baptized was he was setting the example for us. This is Jesus launching his earthly ministry. Up until this point, who is Jesus? Jesus is Mary and Joseph's son. Who is Jesus up to this point? He's a carpenter, right? Now he's being introduced on the scene as who? The son of God. As we begin our ministry, as we begin our faith journey, once we've been uh, uh, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we've been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, we must be baptized because Jesus set the example. Can I get an amen? Hard to argue with that. But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This he consented. Of course he consented. Of course he did. We should be consenting people too to the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't we? As we read and study the Word of God, we, we should consent to everything it says. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, he's introducing, here's, here's the day, here's the day. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is backing out. John is decreasing, so Jesus can increase. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. This is he of whom I've been speaking of. I've been talking about him. I said, after me comes a man who's ranked before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remaining on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Yea, John. Yea, John. Now, John had disciples. 
Now, John's not raising up a band of disciples to be contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. Disciple simply means a disciplined follower of someone. John is a mentor. People are following him. They're learning of him. John was known as a teacher. In John chapter 1, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. What's he doing? He's decreasing so the Lord Jesus Christ can increase. Now, we are called as modern-day saints to be disciple-makers. Can I get an amen? We, too, should have disciples. There's nothing wrong with us having disciples. We should be discipling others, but we should be pointing those we disciple not to ourselves, but we should be pointing them to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and what did they do? Bye-bye. We're following Jesus. And I guarantee you when these two disciples leave John and go to following Jesus, on the inside, John is saying, praise God, I'm doing it right. They're not following me. They're following the Lamb of God. Amen? And that's what we're to do. We're to take young people in the faith, and I'm talking about young in age. We're to take new believers and we're to begin to teach them the foundations of faith and see them grow and see them grow and hopefully watch them grow beyond us as they begin to follow Christ and they begin to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. It's working, isn't it? John is decreasing, the Lord Jesus Christ is increasing. The one thing that we know that John taught his disciples was this. We just went through this at the end of the year, didn't we? And Jesus, you know, John's got these disciples and he's teaching them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? Remember that? Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. We're to be people of prayer, aren't we, church? We're to be people of prayer. John's disciples become envious of Jesus Christ. They're not yet disciples, are they? They haven't adopted the attitude of their mentor. They've not adopted the mentality of their discipler. Why? Because they're getting, je they're getting jealous that Jesus is getting more disciples and Jesus is getting more attention than John. There's always going to be those childish people in the church and in the faith family, aren't they? But what do we do? We keep praying for them. We keep encouraging them. We keep discipling them. John 3, 25, 26. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness... Look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. John said, that's wonderful. That's good. And then John finds himself in a tough predicament. His big mouth is getting him in trouble, isn't it? He's taking on the world. He's taking on the establishment. He's taking on the religious leaders of the day. He's taking on Herod. Why is he so bold? Where does this boldness come from? Remember, in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And from his childhood up, he's operated in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison, what, what, what did that say? John is where? What's he doing in prison? Is he a thief? Is he a murderer? Is he an adulterer? Is he a blasphemer? No, he's a preacher of the gospel. He's a preacher of the gospel. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, now, now this shows his humanity. We have to see his humanity here. We can't miss that John truly is human. Yes, he's bold. Yes, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he's introduced the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's a human being. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Said to who? Said to the Lord Jesus Christ. His disciples come visit him one day, and he's like, guys, you know, I hate to ask much of you, but 
could you just go find Jesus and, and, and just ask him one thing for me? Would you, would you be kind enough to do that? And listen, says, oh man, this, if this doesn't grab your heart, I don't know if you got a heart or not. John's lot, we, 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 we saw him come to this point, haven't we? This is bold. This is, this is bold John. He's wearing camel skin. He's eating locusts, wild honey. He's taken on the establishment. He's taken on Herod. And now he's locked up in a jail cell. He knows. He knows what his outcome is going to be. And he's human. He said, if you don't care, just ask Jesus this for me. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? See, when you're faced with death, you want to make sure you got all your ducks in a row, don't you? You see the human, you appreciate the humanity of John here. I just want to know that I know that I know that this is right. Is this good? Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. Listen to this. This last sentence is Jesus' personal words to John. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Well, Jesus, John's disciples, they carry on, and they're a part of the early church. Let's look in the book of Acts. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only Baptism of John. John's work is working, isn't it? Listen at his instruction. He's an eloquent man. He's competent in the scriptures. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. He's fervent in spirit. He is speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. But all he knows is what John taught. All he knows is repent and turn to God and be baptized. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What is the way of God more accurately? Do you know Jesus? I know you know John. I know John baptized you, but do you know Jesus? And when he wished to cross the Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, and he wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through the grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing that by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is the Holy Spirit. And he said, Until then, what were you baptized? And they said, What? Into John's baptism. John's work is proven out, isn't it? And now they're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, the Lord Jesus Christ. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Where did we just leave John? Where's John at? John's in prison. Why is John in prison? 
Herod took his brother Philip's wife. And John said, you ought not to be doing such stuff. And Herod said, do you know who I am? John said, I know exactly who you are. Do you know who God is? God sent me to make straight the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with boldness, he confronted Herod of his sin. Luke chapter 3, but Herod the patriarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, Hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. The people knew who John was. He was sent from God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a bold man. Everybody knew who he belonged to, where he came from, and what his calling was. And because of the life that he lived, it cost him his life. It cost him his life. God is a sovereign God. Can I get an amen? When John said, I must decrease that he may increase, do you think he fully knew what he was saying? Did he realize, did he fully realize that decreasing meant I've got to have my head chopped off? But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised. You know, we talked about this morning about the sovereignty of God. Jesus said, go and prepare for the observance of the Passover and you're going to run into this guy carrying a jar of water. He's going to take you to a place. He's going to take you in the upper room and you're going to prepare that stuff there. There's no way to doubt the sovereignty of God, is there? God knew that Herod was going to throw a party. God knew that this daughter of Herodias was going to dance and please the people, and God already knows that Herod is going to give her the option. So, so that he promised with an oath to give her what she may ask for. And guess what the daughter of Herodias asks for? Prompted by her mother, who is the adulteress, shacking up with Herod. John said, y'all ought not be living that way. That ain't godly. Where did he get that from? Well, his mother and father were blameless. They loved the Lord. They lived righteously. Can I get an amen? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands for God regardless of the cost. Could we learn lessons from that church? Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod just about swallowed his tongue. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded to be given. In that day and time, when the king spoke, regardless of what he spoke, it came to pass. He could not take it back. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and they told Jesus. Brother Steve, I'm depicting from this story that serving Jesus is always not a bed of roses. It doesn't always end in fairy tale fashion, does it? Sometimes when you really are who God has called you to be, it can cost you everything, even your life. But how would you want to be remembered any different than I was born as God said I would be born. I was who God said I was going to be. I lived my life with purpose. I fulfilled my charge. I ran the race. I kept the faith finished my course. You understand that the moment that the axe or the guillotine severed the head of John the Baptist, God the Father said, welcome home. Welcome home. 
Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to breeze through some stuff because I've been going an hour now and I meant to be done a long time ago. So we're going to jump over here and we're going to finish up with what Jesus had to say about John. Look here. Matthew chapter 11. Truly I say to you, this is the Son of God speaking. Does this carry some weight with you? That's what Jesus had to say about John. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But why would he say that? If, if you study John the Baptist, it's really, really, really simple, isn't it? It's really simple. What did he do? He lived a simple life. He lived for the honor and glory of God. And he died doing what God called him to do. Count me in that group. Count me in that group, regardless of the cost. Let me go down swinging for the Lord. Amen? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. Wow. Would you stand with me tonight?